Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for the gift of your son and what he has called us to in reflecting you and um, how that relates to living in community and, and bearing one another's burdens and preferring one another over ourselves. It's a tall order. We pray that your spirit would draw us ever closer to Jesus so that we would look more like him day by day and how we relate to one another. Pray that you would, by your spirit, give us wisdom and discernment in studying this passage um, out of the book of the covenant this morning. Help us to see it not just as a historical lesson of what were the laws of Israel, but a calling to us as the people of God to be um, different distinct from the heart. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, we are in Exodus 21, <coughs> verse 28 through 36. And we're continuing our discussion of the descriptive law expressed in the book of the covenant. When I say descriptive law as opposed to prescriptive law, what am I talking about? Do you remember? Let me swallow. Um, prescriptive law, what is that? What are we talking about when we say prescriptive? Like the set, like the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, what is eternal, what is established by God for eternity, uh, reflecting his nature, the ten words, the ten testimonies of who he is, everything flows from that. Now, descriptive law would be what? How God is displayed in a temporal, cultural context. Very good. I like that definition. Um <laughs> And we are now going through descriptive laws in Israel, time and space, and it follows immediately after the giving of the Ten Commandments. Where is Moses during all of this stuff? We're, we're getting this, these laws, these case laws, these situational applications of the Ten Commandments. Where is Moses? Close to the mountain in the darkness. In the darkness. He went up to see God. He called him up, right? He is, he is now in the presence of God. The people were... Yeah, you go on, you know, looking over their shoulders, running away. You, you, they're, they're away from the mountain. You speak to God. Don't, don't, don't let God talk to us lest we die. They're fearful of that. So Moses is in the cloud, in the presence of God. And we've talked about, descriptively so far, the book of the covenant that Moses is receiving. We've talked about slavery laws, first thing off the bat, which was interesting. Capital punishment, what happens when a man kills another man. We talked last week about assault and battery and the rights of actual and compensatory damages resulting there, there, thereof. And, and now we continue the progression on down. This is what God is telling Moses in his presence up on the mountain. This is what is important. Exodus 21, verse 28. When an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned, and its flesh shall not be eaten. But the owner of the ox shall not be liable. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, and its owner has been warned but has not kept it in, and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and its owner 
also shall be put to death. If a ransom is imposed on him, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is imposed on him. If it gores a man's son or daughter, he shall be dealt with according to this same rule. If the ox gores a slave, male or female, the owner shall give to their master thirty shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. Verse 33. When a man opens a pit, or when a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restoration. He shall give money to its owner, and the dead beast shall be his. When one man's ox butts another's so that it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and share its price, and the dead beast also they shall share. Or, if it is known that the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, and its owner has not kept it in, he shall repay ox for ox, and the dead beast shall be his. Okay. Why is this here? What's the purpose of this? Why are we going into what happens when an ox gores a man? Moses is on the mountain receiving the law, the covenant law, for the people of God, and we're talking about animal attacks. Why is this here? Okay. Obviously, the, the context from which this is drawn is a farming, you know, cattle raising. So this stuff is going to inevitably happen. Mm -hmm. So, and it's not just about animals and such. It's just, you know, if this happens, then you should do this. Mm -hmm. well, why is that necessary? Why do you think? Why would it be necessary to go into this kind of detail on how we deal with loss of property and loss of life? It shows that if you're negligent and somebody else get, gets hurt, you have a responsibility to try to make it right. Okay. Let's, uh, let's go through it then. Let's go through it with that in mind. In the Near East... Discussions of the goring of an ox, that's typical for language about if you own a domesticated animal, it hurts somebody else. They just use the ox as kind of the typical scenario, given the culture. Um, just because it doesn't say horse or camel doesn't mean that it wouldn't have also applied to a horse or camel, I guess is the, is the point. What, what's the issue here in verse 28? What are we talking about? Why is this, why is this a big deal? What, well, let me ask you this way. What prescriptive law comes into play here? <coughs> okay, why? What, what, is, what is important about, I mean, it was an accident. The sanctity of life. The sanctity of life. So we have, a, we have an ox, which is not created in the image of God, killing a man who is created in the image of God, and something's got to be done. Um, 
what's to be done? The ox shall be stoned. The ox is stoned. And what does that demonstrate? I mean, it's just a dumb animal. Why kill the animal? What does that demonstrate? Justice. Justice, okay. That you value human life over life of property. I think so. That you value human life over the life of an animal, over property. Um, PETA notwithstanding, there is a hierarchy of life, biblically speaking. Our worldview, the reality that God has set in motion in the universe, is that his image is more important than an ox, no matter how much money it brings you. Right? Okay. The sanctity of human life. Man is created in the image of God, not the ox, and that must be demonstrated. The ox has violated the hierarchy of being and must be destroyed, even to the extent that they cannot do what with it? They can't even eat it. Now that just seems like such a waste. I mean, yeah, it dies, but I mean, let's at least get a couple slabs of ribs off of it or something. No. It has violated the hierarchy of being that God has set in motion. And that's important to demonstrate. So what happens to the owner of this um, erstwhile ox? What happens? Two, two cases. First case, what happens? It, whenever it just goes off on its own, you know, it's the first time the owner didn't know that it would potentially do this, uh -huh. there's no implications for him because it's just... He, if he doesn't know... He's not negligent for letting it out. We shouldn't hold him accountable for the death of a man if he didn't know that this ox was going to go off, go postal, right? So, what happens there? He, he just loses the ox. Um, he's not liable. There's no history of violence from the animal. And really, negligence on his part cannot be proven here. Is that understood? We have a similar oddly enough, a similar uh, mindset in our legal system with regard to animals. Uh, every dog gets one free bite is, the, is the, the rule of thumb. If you don't know that your pit bull will attack people, <laughs> he gets a free bite. Uh, but if he attacks twice, the owner will be liable. And you see the same kind of thing here. What does it say? In verse 29. <clears throat> but if the ox tended to thrust with its horn in times past, and it has been made known to his owner, and he has not kept it confined, so that it has killed a man or a woman, then the ox shall be stoned, and its owner also shall be put to death. Put to death? What? Put to death? That seemed harsh. Why? It's a deadly weapon. Ah, isn't that the key? This animal is making me money. It's killing my crops. Um, other things that, that you can derive from the work of an ox. I don't want to. I want to lose it. it. It won't happen. That's negligence, criminal negligence. 
You have a situation where an ox is gored before but not killed. The owner has been warned. The idea is that he's been warned by the authorities. You need to pin up that ox. The difference is that the owner is guilty of criminal negligence. It's as if the master of the ox is guilty of killing another human being. So we kick it back up to our discussion on capital punishment. Verse 12, right? If a man kills another man, he shall be put to death. It's equated to the man actually wielding a club and beating the guy over the head. It's the same thing. But there's a difference here. What's the difference? What can he do rather than be stoned to death himself? Pay a ransom. He can ransom his life because there's a categorical difference between the animal that's wild and him lying in wait hunting for a man. You see that? What does that tell you about God? <clears throat> there's a difference here and that the animal may be one that is a little vicious and kills a man and he may have known about it but he allows, God allows, remember this is direct quote here, God allows for this man to live if he pays reparation, if he pays restitution to the, um, the family of the guy who was gored rather than be stoned. If he can't, he's going to be stoned. Gives you an incentive to raise some money quick, right? Um, but what's the, what does that tell you about the nature of God in providing an exception to being stoned. Verse 12 says you kill a man, you die. There's no exception. But here there's an exception. What does that tell you about the nature of God? Specifically, his justice. There's mercy involved. Yeah. There's mercy involved. And so do you see then how uh, when Jesus says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, Turn the other cheek. There's mercy built into the law that at that time period, we talked about this last week, that the Pharisees were not taking into account. You see that mercy here. There's a difference. Although he is to be held culpable for what he did, for what his animal did, he is not, strictly speaking, a murderer. His punishment can be mitigated by money. We talked about how most of the time it's, you know, you take an eye, you give an eye, very rarely do you have option to do money. This is one of those options. You can pay money. You can be motivated by a fine that is levied upon him. Who imposes the fine? What does it say? You, it doesn't say, does it? But why do you say the family? I think you're right. Where are you pulling that from? Is there anywhere else that we've read and studied so far that that would be the logical assumption? Yeah. That seems to be the, 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 the common vehicle by which these fines, if they're going to be assessed, that would be how it's done. The family says, you need to pay this for the value of the family member that we lost. But is that it? What else do you think would come into play here? It doesn't say, but kind of assuming, based on what we've read so far, how that would work. Wasn't there a, um, a judge yeah. or a set of judges sure. involved? So you have the family set the fine. 
they demand payment. They send out their notice letter. They give them 60 days to comply. We're going to sue you, the judges. Then the judges say, yes, this is reasonable, or no, it's unreasonable. Here's a better amount. Again, mercy. What is the value of a man's life? Right? So they're going to take into account, is he a man of means? Is he poor? Uh, they're allowed discernment and discretion in, in giving mercy to a guy who is an idiot. Right? What if it gores a son or a daughter? Eye for an eye. Tooth for tooth. Life for life. Does the man who owns the animal lose his son or daughter? Reuben Shagan said no. Why do you say no? <laughs> okay. Does he? What does it say? It's the same rule. And what's the rule? The man can ransom his own life. What does that tell you about the nature of God? Should a man lose his son because of his own negligence? Should the, should the son die because of his father's criminal negligence? No. Each one bears the penalty on their own head. And that is um, somewhat radical of a notion in this time period. Many times if the guy, his negligence killed another son, he, his own son would die. Yeah. Yeah, well, then it, but like it also seems like it talks about the third and fourth generation. Right. Like, how would you make sense of that? Well, you, I think that's more of a, a um, national view. Okay. If there's sin in a nation, it, it, the consequences of it carry forward. Let's look at the 60s as an example. Three generations later, we're still bearing the brunt of that, um, quote, cultural revolution, right? But that's because of the mindset that's involved and God allowing us, giving us over to the, the, the sin of the people. In this situation, it's, a, it's an individual thing. Um, yeah, that's an, interesting, that's an interesting discussion. I don't know that we're going to go into it fully this morning, but, but yeah, the, I, think, I think what he's talking about there is more of a national idea. Francis Schaeffer would have something to say about that, and we'll hopefully... Talk about that some as we go through yeah. the book. Yes, sir. I think it's also noteworthy. I know we've discussed this in the weeks up to this, but it's also, it says a man or woman, female or male servant, son or daughter. It, mm -hmm. It's very, it's it's all human life. It's not just the male-centric society. You, you're, you're anticipating my very next point. It's excellent. And, and why is that, and why is that important? Because it, it highlights the fact that all life is important to God. Right. And that separates their culture from the surrounding. And, and in fact, the laws that had similar codes as this in them, Hammurabi and, and others, don't even mention women. Mm -hmm. Very rarely. Eh. Second class citizen, not worth much. So you lost your daughter, have another. You know, that's, that's the idea in the surrounding culture. Not so biblically. Man or woman daughter or son, all life is valued. Except for the slave? How do we do that? What are we doing there? Isn't the, sli isn't the slave 
human life. The guy's life is not required. And what is the payment? 30 shekels of silver. What does that remind you of? Judas Iscariot. Jesus was sold for a slave's fee. Let that sink in. Um, that's the average price for a slave. Some codes said 15, others said 20. I mean, at least biblically, it's the most it can be. You know, There's something there. What's unclear to me on this is that I'm not sure, and, and I'm sure there's some smart guys out there who have thought through this. I couldn't find anything on it. Um, is this in addition to the payment to the family? In other words, if the guy has an ox and it gores another man's slave, is he responsible to the family of the slave as well as to the master of the slave? Does that make sense? You have two plaintiffs rather than one? I don't know. It would seem to me to be logical that that's the way that works. Because before, if a guy kills a slave, it kicks it up to verse 12 and it's life for life and all of that. So, so you're saying that since a slave is a man or a woman, which would go back up to verse 28, right. or wherever it was, then it would depend on whether that ox had scored in the past or whatever, that rule would be applied plus the 30 shekels? Plus the 30 shekels. If, in other words, it, there's, there's a, it's not just the family that's lost. The master who's bought the slave's debt, if we're talking about indentured servant situation, which generally these are talking about, he's also lost the value of the work of that slave after having bought the debt. So 30 shekels of silver would be the, just a set, uh, a set capped amount for that situation. So I'm, I'm under the impression that this is in addition to pay a fine to the family, whatever the judge has set, and then to the master of the guy also pay 30 shekels. So it's not like the slaves just worth 30 shekels. <laughs> I think it's a combo deal. But I could be wrong. I, that's just the sense that I get from it, and I haven't seen anything on it. So do with that what you will. I think that would be good because if they do the jubilee here, would they do the bringing? So I think there's some commercial there, so that would fall mm-hmm. in line with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So what are we going to do with these last two things. We had two sections, two scenarios here at the end. The first is negligence in the covering of a pit which leads to the death of another's animal. I just want to stop here for a moment. Let's pause and think about this. Have you ever been in a Sunday school class where this has been the topic of the class? Welcome. College and career, <laughs> Sunday school. Um, what what in the world? Animal husbandry. Okay, I tell you what, uh, my kids have got me hooked on farm frenzy too. We've been doing the thing. That's, that's awesome. Anyway, what do you have? Here? Why why is this here? Why is this here? First, we have negligence in the covering of a pit, which leads to the death of another's animal. Why is this here? Why are we talking about this? Maybe that's a question you're asking. You have to think about the context of the culture. Okay. The animal was people's livelihood. Right. So if if your negligence resulted in someone's <clears throat> livelihood being impeded, it shows that God values our well-being. 
right? It shows he values our well-being. He, he values the, the thrift and industry that we have in order to provide for ourselves. Clay, I got to tell you, you sound like more and more like a, a, a bleeding heart liberal, you know, with all these damages that you're talking about. I don't know what to do. What, what is required of the one who's left this job undone? What's required of him? He leaves the pit open, the ox falls in, and presumably dies. It's sort of that you break it, you buy it. You break it, you buy it. Very good. Very good. You break it, you buy it. That's, that's kind of right. And you have the same, and it says make restitu- restoration. Full restitution is the idea here. He's got to pay for it fully. Uh, the verb here uh, often signifies the legal principle of appropriate restitution that is complete and entire. <clears throat> He just had, he had a, he had one bad eye, you know. What I mean, this is not worth much. And it's it's not. Uh, there's no bargaining here. There's this. What's the thing worth? And pay it out. You shouldn't let your ox roam around. That's not an issue. We don't have comparative negligence issues going on. You fell in it. You break it. You buy it. I like that. Um, then we have our wily ox. Secondly. Uh, goring another animal. What's the solution here? They shall sell the live ox and divide the money from it, and the mm-hmm. dead ox shall also divide. But, divide. but if we know he's a he's a mad beast, got mad cow disease. What what do we what happens then? He shall surely pay ox for ox, and the dead animal shall be his own. Now is that fair? You think he knows it's a it's a I don't want to say this it's a it's a it's a mean one it's a mad ox he knows that and it kills somebody else's livelihood. Um, so does he give the bad ox to the? Uh, no, no, that's that. Well, no, he, the, he just says he buys. The he buys dead the other. He buys the dead ox from the guy. Okay. And, and he can go out and buy another. But what do we have at issue now? No, no, it is. Well, he's buying the dead ox. He's selling the one, presumably, to be eaten, I would think. Because now you know it's gored. Are you going to take on the responsibility of criminal negligence if it gores somebody else? It kicks you back up to the top, doesn't it? Well, actually, it doesn't say it has to be stolen for goring another animal. Right. But what are you going to do with an ox that you already have knowledge of that it gores? Do you see a pattern here in these laws? It seems like it starts with the most horrible situation, goes down to the bottom, that immediately implies the logic from the top. There's just this kind of circular thing going on here. Because if you kept an animal that gored another animal, you know it's capable of... Of goring a human being. Yeah, exactly. So you have this... It all feeds into each other. You, they divide the dead animal and, and the price of the live animal. The owner of the aggressive ox is not considered at fault, so they split the loss. But if he knows that... The ox is prone to gore. He has to give full restitution. He gets the dead one after paying for it to the victim of the owner. Every dog gets one bite. Okay. Right, they're laying behind the log on the fact that it's gored on other things, and then and then right. 
maybe it won't this time, or I'll build a stronger fence, or whatever. I'll keep it yoked. Why is this here? Why are we talking about this? Yeah. And, and I'm I'm guilty, especially of going, oh, I can speak text, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever. But when you're doing that, you're you're <clears throat> valuing your convenience and your phone over potentially the life of somebody else. Doesn't this point to a heart issue in even our most basic mm-hmm. operations? How do we live in community? How do we prefer one another over ourselves in basic things, our livelihood even? Um, we live in a fallen world. Stuff is going to happen. My thoughtlessness is going to affect someone else at some point. Did not affect my father when I backed into his truck because he owns a tank. I didn't have to pay for that situation. I still have the dent to prove it. We live in a fallen world. How do we deal with that biblically? from a Christ-centered approach, I think is reflected in this. This is not limited to just these laws. This is a heart issue. Make it right when you screw up, right? Make it right. Don't try to hide behind it. Don't try to throw up a bunch of defenses to it. Make it right. Animals are unpredictable because of the curse of the fall. We've done this to ourselves, and yet God in his grace is giving us wisdom and how to think through navigating these issues. How do you live in a community when stuff is going to happen? Here's the other thing. In Christ, we're forgiven for our rebellious acts of commission, but we're also forgiven for our rebellious acts of omission. When I don't take care of things that I should take care of, that also was borne by him on the cross. We're thoughtless, lazy, selfish, and all the above at the same time. But Christ, in redeeming the whole man, has called us to prefer one another over ourselves. I don't text and drive because I love my neighbor. Right? I I don't leave, um, if I'm working in the street, I don't leave the manhole cover off the sidewalk for somebody to fall into. Because I love my neighbor. Or if you're working at the hospital, you don't leave stuff undone for your shift, knowing that the next shift's about to start, just because you want to hurry and get done with work, knowing that it may get overlooked. Right. I mean, in any job. There's a potential in any job to leave things undone that hurts other people. Right. Yeah, very good. And and isn't that the point here? Isn't that the, the thrust of the heart here? Everything has consequences. Every omission that we do has consequences. One, we need to be conscious of that as people of the cross and be um, actively making sure that we're not doing things that endanger others that, that are unloving towards our neighbors. And second, we need to realize that Christ paid for that as well. Um, I had a... Well, I said I had a. It wasn't a case I had. It was a situation I knew about where a, a guy in college, you know, senior year, um, uh, 
got behind the wheel of a car when he should have. He's drunk. Um, and, and hit somebody. Killed him. Went to jail for it. Um, think about the despair that sets in for a young man who was not really that much of a drinker, but just was graduating, thought, hey, why not? Made a stupid decision, a criminally negligent decision in prison. How are you going to put that on a resume? Right? Christ paid for that. You understand? We do stupid things. It's going to happen. And Christ paid for that. I should treat him as Christ having paid for that rather than feeding into his fear, his depression of you're now ruined. You're now worthless. He's held accountable for it. We move on. Do we, does that make sense? We do stupid things. We need to be people of mercy. We don't need to be like Pharisees, holding people to the nth degree of the most that we can give them and then write them off because of what they've done. We need to be people of mercy. Um, all right. Colossians 3, 12 through 13. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. How does he describe those in Christ? What's the language he uses there? Chosen? What else? Holy and beloved. What else? Holy and beloved. Chosen. Chosen to be holy and beloved and chosen. Right? We, we, we strive for holiness because of the holiness granted to us in Christ. Is that kind of the idea there? How does that play out? What does that look like? What are they called to look like? What are the, what's the language being used? Compassionate hearts. What does that mean? Let me send you some money. What does that mean? Compassion. Now, I know from Duolingo, come, or con, I guess, be with, passion. It's from the heart, right? That we're doing these things, this kindness, this humility, this meekness, this patience. It's from the heart. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. How, how do you do that? What's the first word, first phrase in the verse or the verses? How do you do it? You put it on. You put it on. You got to put it on. In other words, it ain't hair growing on your body. You got to put it on. It's something for it. It ain't natural. <sighs> um, it ain't natural. 
If you're bald, you put on a hat. It's foreign to you, this covering, right? Why? What's the grounding? Why do we put it on? As the Lord has forgiven you. Turn to 1 John 2, 7-11. We'll close here. All of this points to how we live in community, how we prefer others over ourselves. Look at verse 7, 1 John 2. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. What's the old commandment? Biblical terms, what's the old commandment? The prescriptive law, the Ten Commandments. This is the nature of God. You can't do it. And yet it's a new commandment. Why is it a new commandment? It's the same words, but it's new. How? Christ fulfills it and then does what? Gives us a new nature, a heart that wants to reflect the prescriptive law. And look at the language he uses here. I love this which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The darkness, it, it, I get this idea of, um, have you ever driven on a country road when the mist comes in in the morning? It's like all foggy and creepy, like Sleepy Hollow kind of. And then the sun comes and kind of burns it away. You see the glow of the sun, but it's not real distinct. Slowly, it gets to be this brilliant sunrise. Have you ever had one of those experiences? That's the idea I have here. The true light is in you because of what Christ has done. But we're covered still in darkness and we're trying to, it's the burning away from the inside out, the heart of, that God has placed into the spirit is in us. It's burning. I don't want to pay for the fact that my dog bit somebody else. That's goofy. Don't get on my property. But there's true light inside that compels me to have compassion, kindness, mercy, and want to fully resolve that, to make full restitution for that. Not because of me, but because of something foreign to me that's been done to me in Christ. Does that make sense? That's what we should be striving for. Now look at this. Whoever says he is in the light, the Apostle of Love writing this, by the way. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. What shines looks like the light not the darkness that is passing away. Hating your brother is not of the light. It blinds you to the image and the beauty of God in that person and the work of God taking place in your brother. 
when we hate them through omission by texting and driving and other various and sundry taboo things that we have now, um, it, it, it displays not God, but darkness. It's negligent. It's not caring for our neighbor. It's not loving each other more than we love ourselves. The darkness is passing away, but under it, what we really are is already shining. Let it shine. Let it break through. Think through what we do and why. That's what the Bible calls us to do. Think on the things that I have told you, and the Lord will give you understanding in all things, Paul says Timothy. Thinking is a gift. Let's not put it in a cabinet and shut the door. Any other comments? Uh, can I read something? Yes, you may, please. It might be a rabbit trail, but I read it earlier this week, and I don't know what you're saying. Um, Hebrews 12, 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Hmm. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. So just reminding me the sense of negligence, how we're mm-hmm. responsible to extend grace mm-hmm. and not be living in that. Yeah, and, and see to it and that we all strive for holiness. Not just me, but I have a responsibility biblically to strive for your seeking holiness, for your um, grace and growth in the gospel. Isn't that another outpouring of, of the Spirit? Because that ain't natural. I'm all good about making sure I'm okay before God. <laughs> that's, there's self-interest there. And it's true, we should do that. But should I also not pray and strive for your growth as well and yours for mine? Good, it's good. All right, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, every time we go through the law, even the ones that are most bizarre to us, the weight of it falls on us. We can't do it. And yet, you've called us to be holy as you are holy, to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. Who is sufficient for these things? I thank you that we have a foreign righteousness, a foreign obedience given to us in Christ. I pray, Father, that by your Spirit you would move us to be who we are in Jesus. Give us wisdom and discernment and what that is supposed to look like in our time and place. That we may, by living lives unto you, testify to your true nature and the eternal law that you've given us. I pray that you would be with us in the next service. Bless Philip as he brings the word. Make us receptive and make us change day by day by day because of your goodness and your mercy to us in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.